Thank you. Yep, Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Thank you, Jess. Just before we come to think about God's, we're going to spend a moment or two in prayer. Um, as we give thanks today for all God's abundant goodness to us, we're very aware of, of the situation in Israel and in Gaza in particular. Um, and I want to just take a few moments using the 24-7 um, prayer resource to pray um, into that situation. So let's come before God in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, on this Sunday where we are especially thankful for all that you have given to us, where we're thanking you, God, for your provision, your provision in the earth around us, for the food and the clothes and the shelter that we all get to enjoy here in this part of the world. As we thank you also for the beautiful gift of new life this morning, all of these good things, we, we thank you and we offer our gratitude to you, Father, but we're also very aware, Lord, that in our world right now, there are people who are in deep need of our prayers. And so as we thank you, Lord, for all of your goodness and provision, we also today cry out to you on behalf of the nations, especially, Father, for what we're seeing in Israel and in Gaza. Lord God, we pray for those grieving the sudden loss of loved ones. We pray for those who are held captive, for those whose homes and livelihoods have been completely destroyed. We bring them before you in a moment of quiet. Heavenly Father, we pray for a miraculous de-escalation of the conflict. We ask for reason to overcome rage and revenge. We also ask that other nations will be restrained from escalating the situation even further. And Heavenly Father, we pray for effective international peacemaking we pray that those who seek diplomacy would experience success over warmongering on, on all sides. 
And Father, as we consider that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we've been reminded of that in recent weeks. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're also starkly reminded that Matthew 5, verses 7 and 9 tell us that blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so, Heavenly Father, we bring the situation in Israel and Gaza before you. Lord, we pray that your church across this world would be crying out on behalf of the people who are experiencing such grief, such heartache, and such loss at this time. Lord God, perhaps we're here this morning, and in our own lives we, we have trouble, we have hardship, Perhaps we've been experiencing increasingly difficult days of late. And Father, we pray that into whatever we might be experiencing, that Father, we would know your peace, that we would know the presence of your Holy Spirit. And Lord God, as we open up your word now, as we think about this beautiful psalm, this powerful psalm of King David, Psalm 63, we pray that your Spirit would take your word and make it come alive in all of our hearts we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your, your Bible, you can keep it open at Psalm 63. Going to think through this psalm for the next few moments. Every father and mother wants to experience love from their children. And uh, Gemma and Lewis, you, you've had a little while um, with little Eve on earth. Um, and as she grows older, you'll want to know and feel and experience her love um, towards you both. We all want to feel that and experience that love and joy from our children, knowing that they love us, or at least, let's be honest, that they acknowledge our presence in their lives. We love it when our children tell us nice things about, our, uh, about ourselves, but we love it even more when they might dare to tell us that they love us. No one wants to feel the pain of a serious fallout um, with one of our children. The backdrop to Psalm 63 is that David penned these words in the desert of Judah. He is the king as he writes these words. He is the king of Israel, and we know that from verse 11. But someone wants to destroy his life. Someone is after him. And we know that David found himself in the wilderness of Judah when he fled from Saul, um, who he succeeded the throne from. But here, the most likely corresponding situation is actually David's flight from Jerusalem, his running out of Jerusalem into the wilderness after his own son Absalom's conspiracy and revolt against him. You can see that in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through to about chapter 17. His son Absalom wants him dead. Internal family affairs were not good within the Davidic household. And the family was in tatters. There was drama within the king's household. Absalom wants David dead. He doesn't only want to distance himself from his dad. He hasn't just had a minor fallout that will soon blow over. You know, those kind of things that happen within families. Absalom has become increasingly bitter towards his father, and he wants his dad dead. 
it's an ugly situation for David to be in. It's an awful situation for David to be in. And no doubt, um, as we think about this, I'm sure David's heart was broken. I'm sure David was emotionally feeling it at this time in his life. I'm sure um, as David spent time in the wilderness of Judah that he felt a sense of great disappointment. I'm sure he just wondered what on earth had happened, why his own son felt this way towards him. I'm sure he was utterly disappointed, dismayed, discouraged, and he feels that his life is in danger as well because Absalom's men could have come after David at any moment. His life was at great risk. The book of Psalm, the, the, the Psalter, the Psalm book, is a wonderful gift from God. I wonder, do you know the Psalms to be that wonderful gift from God in your life? I find myself at funerals saying that to people. You know, the Psalms are a wonderful gift of God because in the Psalter, in God's psalm book, uh, songbook, you can find a song in there for every single human emotion or experience that you go through. There are psalms of great joy and jubilation, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms whenever life is really good, but there are also psalms of real darkness and dismay whenever the songwriter is experiencing moments of great discouragement, and perhaps when danger has closed in. And I think it's really important to say that this morning on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Maybe you're here, we're giving thanks to God for his goodness and for his love that endures forever, for all of his provision for us, but maybe the last Maybe the last emotion within your heart is thanksgiving. Maybe you have an internal family issue that's causing you great discouragement and dismay. Well, the Psalms are a great gift from God. And we see that in this moment as David pens these words. You see, I wonder, where do we turn in moments of great disappointment? Where do you turn in life in moments of great disappointment? Where do you turn when life gets really, really tough? Maybe when you find yourself running away from a situation or even running away from God, perhaps even running away from family or, or a situation that you find yourself in. Where do you turn in those moments? Moments of great disappointment, moments of great dismay, moments of great despair, moments when your heart is really heavy. Where do you turn? You see, David in the Psalms, David expresses his heart, and we get to see this over and over again. Psalm 27 is another favorite psalm of mine. In verse 4, we hear David's like one cry, the one cry of his heart. David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I would gaze upon the beauty of God and seek him in his temple. We get to see the raw heart of David in moments like that. And again, here in Psalm 63, we see deep cry out to deep. We see the, the cry of David's heart to the heart of God. Deep cries out to deep in a moment of great discouragement and despair. David is hungry. Remember, he's in the wilderness. He's in a desert place. He's weary. He's probably worn out. I doubt he looked like the king that he was in these moments. And yet David doesn't ask, it's really interesting, David doesn't ask God to take away the situation that he's found himself in. He doesn't even in this moment ask God to mend the brokenness and to bring Absalom back to his senses. He doesn't do that in this moment. He probably did do that. I'm sure he did do that. 
But here in this moment, David asks for God himself. For God himself. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul longs for you. God, you are my God. My soul longs after you. I want you to track with four big thoughts this morning. Here they are. Um, Number one, longing. We see that in verse one, the longing of David's heart. Secondly, remembrance and praise that arises from the heart of David in verses two through to five. And then the refuge that David looks to in God that we see in verses six to eight. And then the victory that that David eventually lands at at the end of this short song in verses nine through to 11. Longing. I wonder what you long for in life. What do we long for? What do we long for in times of great disappointment, times of loneliness, in times of distress or confusion? What do we long for? What do our hearts go after in those moments? In this desperate situation, David asks for God himself. That's where David goes. Only God is enough. Only God will be enough for him in this moment. His life is at risk. His life could have been taken from him at any moment. And yet David is able to say in verse 3, I love this verse. David says in verse 3, because your love, God, your love, your loving kindness, that's what David is speaking of. Your loving kindness, oh God, is better than life itself. My lips will praise you. Because your love, your loving kindness is better than this life itself, God. My lips will praise you. I love that verse. I love that verse so much that a number of years ago, you won't believe this, but I actually was involved in writing a song um, about that, this psalm and about that verse in particular. Your love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will not sing it. I am not a worship leader. I have none of those gifts, but I was involved in writing a beautiful song about this. And we used to sing it all the time in our youth group um, back in my home church. Um, There you go. Um, Another little string to my bow that will never be put um, to use again. But to know that God's love is better than life itself is a wonderful truth. See, to know God to be redeemed by Jesus and to be occupied by the Holy Spirit of God is, of course, better than life itself. That's the most wonderful gift of all. To know God, be redeemed by Jesus, His Son, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God is, of course, better than anything this life can offer. If you're here this morning and you disagree with me on that, I would love to buy you a cup of coffee. If you disagree that the love of God experienced in your life is better than life itself, I'll buy you a cup of coffee, maybe even a scone or a bun, and we can talk about that. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Your love is better than life. Your love is better than what the best that this life can bring me. Now, of course, to be able to say that is the easy part, isn't it? It's easy to say that. God, your love is better than life. My lips will praise you when life is good. It's easy to say that. But the hard part is is realizing that, experiencing that, especially when life closes in, when distress enters, when disillusionment comes in, 
when things fall apart, when the wheels come off life. It's much more difficult to say, your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And I believe that's why David tells us the manner with which he goes about this pursuit. So if God's love is better than life, then we see why David says this. Look at verse 1. He says, earnestly I seek you, earnestly. Then he says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you, God. My whole being longs for you. See, David is desperate for God. He's straining to see God. He's straining to know God's presence in his life. In a world of quick fixes, fast food, and disposable living, the art of longing, straining for God is really hard to come by. Remember, we've been saying over these weeks that we're too full to be hungry. We've too much else going on to be life in life. Too many other things to be hungry for what God has for us. We're too hurried to be longing. We're too hurried to give ourselves enough time to long after God. This fasting um, discipline that we're looking at in the evenings here is a revelation to me, the kind of stuff I'm learning as we think about what it means to fast, that, that to fast means that we starve the flesh in order to feed the spirit. What a wonderful thing to be able to engage in whenever all we do, if we're honest, is feed the flesh, feed the flesh, feed the flesh. We need to get more in touch with the God who wants to feed our spirit. See, in every season of life, we must be like David who says, I long and I thirst for God with an earnest heart. The word earnest that's used here actually means to seek early. And the King James Version puts it that way. Early will I seek you. Early will I seek you, God. Earnestly I will seek you. Early will I seek you. Now, it's not a command in Scripture that you must get up before the sun rises to do your quiet time and your devotion with the Lord. But actually, it's advisable to seek God early, before the day dawns, before the day begins, before we chase after every other pursuit in life, before we check in with the little shiny silver God beside our bed. You know what I'm talking about? That we would seek him early, that we would seek the Lord. See, in the desert, David is disappointed. He's fearful and he's broken and he longs for God. He earnestly seeks the Lord. Then he remembers. Then David remembers. We've already um, seen how David's lips glorify God, but in verse 4, David says, he says, I shall praise you as long as I live. Um, and in your name, he says, I will lift up my hands. Um, raising arms and raising hands in worship, by the way, it's a biblical thing. Um, there it is right there in this scripture. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, oh God, I will lift up my hands. In your name, I will lift up my hands. It's a gesture that signifies worship as it does elsewhere in the scriptures. And um, just to put some of you at ease, it's okay to do that when you're praising God, to raise your, even if you can just manage a hand up that high. We're Northern Irish after all. I will raise my arms in worship. It's okay to do that. David says, I shall praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Elsewhere in the Psalms, the lifting up of hands more commonly signifies prayer, lifting up holy hands in prayer. But in this moment, David is praising God in the wilderness. 
He's far from his palace, and he's lifting up his hands in praise. His son wants him dead, and he's lifting up his hands in praise. And in verse 5, David says confidently, I will be fully satisfied, abundantly satisfied with the richest of foods, and with singing lips, my mouth, God, will praise your holy name. We all carry memories, memories of good times um, from the past that we enjoyed, memories that put a smile on our face as we recall whatever it might be. But think about David in this moment. Despite the situation that he's in, he praises God. But what is it that leads David to praise God in this moment? What leads him to this moment of worship? Well, look at verse 2. He remembers. He remembers the sanctuary in Jerusalem where he beheld the power and the glory of God. Out in the desert place, he remembers the sanctuary back in Jerusalem where he worshipped God with God's people. David remembers those moments. You see, Jerusalem, the place where David worshipped with God's people, lay far behind him in the distance. Absalom, his son, had occupied the city. He was trying to take everything from David. But David in this moment remembers how he had experienced the glorious power of God in that place of worship with God's people. You know, we know that God's presence is, is not confined to any place or um, any, any kind of um, building or place or people, which is why David, even in the wilderness, can praise God. Even in this solitary moment of private worship in the wilderness of Judah, David praises God. It's the same for us. You can worship God wherever wherever you are in your day. In the shower, you can worship the Lord. At your desk and work, you can worship God. You can praise his name as you're going about your work. In your um, back garden, if you're a gardener, as you tend to the weeds and tend to the little flowers that grow around your back, you can worship God wherever you find yourself in your day, you can worship God. Even if you should find yourself wrongly accused of something and in prison, and I hope that doesn't happen, even there, you can worship the Lord for all of his goodness. See, David's praise in these moments is, is fueled by memories of, of corporate worship, memories when the assembly of God's people came together when they gathered, when they lifted up their hearts, lifted up their hands, and lifted up their, their worship to the Lord. Corporate worship is a wonderful thing. Isn't it wonderful to gather with God's people and to worship God with his people? That's why the scripture says, never get into the habit of not meeting together anymore. Always gather with God's people. Always gather together to worship God in this corporate place of worship. You see, when we worship together corporately, the spiritual air ought to become thin where we sense the presence of God. I'm tempted for a show of hands. Does anyone ever in the corporate place of worship, you just sense the Lord come really close? It's the beautiful manifest presence of God when God's people come together, when we worship one another in a place like this where Jesus is on the throne and as we worship, we're praying, Lord Jesus, build your throne. Come, take your place among us. Be the object of our affection. Be the object of our worship. Be the one that our hearts adore. Come, Lord Jesus, take your place. Be enthroned, King Jesus, in this place. Bob Coughlin writes in a book entitled Worship Matters. He says this. 
He says, on Sundays, God wants us to do more than sing songs together and have wonderful worship experiences. He wants to knit the fabric of our lives together. Isn't that a beautiful thought? When we gather like this, when we worship God together, when we offer our our vertical worship to him, when we lift up our, our voices and our hands and our hearts in praise to the one true and living God, as we do that, he is the one our hearts adore. But equally at the same time, on a horizontal plane, our our lives are knit together. We're together in this. We're singing truths about God, not just to God, but over each other. I'm singing for you and you're singing for me. I want you to know the goodness of God. I want you to know about his loving kindness. I want you to know that you can give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good and his love endures forever. And so as we worship, we worship the Lord with all of our hearts, but we also sing over one another. And our our lives are knit together in this place of corporate worship. God's presence is specially manifest among us as we worship him. You know, my prayer is that if you're not able to be here for whatever reason, and we have lots of people who can't make it out to Sunday worship anymore, would you pray for them? Would you pray for those who are maybe joining us at home at the moment and they can't come out here? They can't make it out. They're they're housebound. They're far too ill to make it out of their door. Maybe those in hospital right now who are tuned in. And if you are, you're so welcome online with us. Pray for those people who can't be here in person. And if you should ever find yourself not able to be here, my prayer is that you would be, that you would remember, that you would remember how good it is how good it is to be among God's people, worshiping him in this place, that our lives are knit together as the Spirit of God goes to work. David remembers. He cannot worship with his people. He's in the wilderness, but he remembers and he praises God in this moment. And then David finds refuge. He finds great refuge as he remembers God. As he lies down in his wilderness bed at night, his mind and his heart is on God. He's spiritually awake. He meditates on God through the watches of the night. What do you do when you can't sleep? What do you do when you can't get over at nighttime? What do you do when you wake up and your your heart is beaten in such a way that you cannot get to sleep. You're so worried about someone. You're so concerned about something that's going on in your life. What do you do? I had a moment last night I couldn't get to sleep. I couldn't get over um, to sleep last night. And as I lay on my bed, I thought of this psalm. I thought of the words of King David, who on the watches of the night thinks about God. And as I did that, Habakkuk 3 came to my mind and into my heart where Habakkuk the prophet writes this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food. That's kind of anti-harvest, isn't it? When the harvest fails. We're celebrating harvest when the harvest fails. When the fig trees produce nothing. When our barns are empty. When the fields are bare. When there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Maybe that's a word for someone this morning. 
even though the barn might feel empty. Even yet, you will praise the Lord your God. David remembers God through the watches of the night. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a bird of prey soaring high above the skies. It's one of the most impressive things that you can see. Um, a bird of prey is so big. I mean, you see birds in the sky, but see if you see a, an eagle or a bird of prey, the wingspan is so magnificent that, that it's stunning to see. And I'm sure in, in the desert place where David was, as he lay on the rocks, he probably could see in the sky above him birds of prey. He could probably see all kinds of birds in the sky. And he says, in the shadow of your wings, God, I sing in the shadow of your wings. It's a picture of security, refuge, being under God's wings. David in verse 8 says he clings to God. He clings to God. He's so tightly bound to God. It's a phrase that's used in Genesis 2.24 for a marriage bond between man and a woman. We're so tightly bound to one another. We're together in this relationship. We're united as one. The word is also used of the people of Israel. They cling um, to God. They cling to him. They hold fast to God. They're tightly bound to God. And David in this moment says, I cling to you, God. I'm tightly bound to you. My life is in yours. I belong to you. You have me. I cling to you, God. It's all we can do sometimes, isn't it? Cling to God. We hang on to him. But then look at the beautiful next thing that happens in verse 8. David says, I cling to you, but your right hand upholds me. I cling to you, God. I cling to you. I hold on to you. But your right hand upholds me. You see, every time you cling to God, if you think you're hanging on by your fingertips, he's upholding you from underneath. Do you realize that? You might be clinging on and hanging on by a, by a fingernail. I cling to you, God. But your right hand upholds me. He will never let you go. We cling and he holds. David finds great refuge in God. And then the only place he ends up is victory. He longs for God. He remembers God. He praises God. He finds refuge in his God. And then he ends up in victory. David had those who wanted him dead and gone. It wasn't a picture of victory. He's running away. He's in the wilderness place. Not a picture of great victory. David's life was under threat. He had people who wanted him disconnected from his place of worship in Jerusalem. They didn't want him to go back to worship God in Jerusalem. And then they want him disconnected from his God. But David declares confidently that victory is in God. He says that his enemies will be destroyed because his God fights for him. He says they will go to the depths of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. Their dead bodies will be no more than food for wild scavenging jackals. Old Testament language. David knows that the victory is in his God. And so as we close this morning, we have an enemy who wants to banish us to wilderness places. The enemy of God wants you to be disconnected from him, from God. He wants you to be disconnected from the community of God's people. It's one of his primary tactics is to disconnect you from church family, to disconnect you from corporate worship, to disconnect you from God, to unplug your heart. He wants you to grow cold, apathetic. 
lukewarm. He wants your heart to grow dark towards the things of God. He wants to banish you to wilderness places. He wants to take you far away from God. The enemy wants to unplug you. What does David do? This is where our encouragement comes. David longs after God. He remembers who God is. He praises the Lord. He finds refuge in him. And then a song of victory comes again. You see, we can learn much from David's words, but we aren't, we aren't called to trust in David. We trust in Jesus, King Jesus. King David's words point us ahead to King Jesus. He's the one who we long for. He's the one in whom we find refuge. He's the one whom we praise. And you know what? Victory is found in the name of Jesus. He is the one who has defeated Satan's sin and death forever. Our victory is in him. We are found in him. He is the one that our hearts adore. He is the one who is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And so we have the same confidence and we can come to the same conclusion as David did. I will rejoice in you, my God. I will rejoice in you. Let me invite um, Lauren and the worship team um, to, to come to the front. We're going to sing in a moment. Let me, let me invite you to stand. Let's stand together. Um, and as we prepare to worship God in response, we're going to sing a couple of songs as we close out our time together in response. We're going to sing about making room for God and for all that He wants to do within us. And as I thought about that, and as I thought about harvest, and you know I'm no agriculturalist by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I do believe that harvest, any kind of harvest, begins with a tilling of the ground, a, a breaking up of the ground, of the soil, to make room for crops to grow. And I think that's a picture of what we're asking God to do in this season of our life as a church, in the season that you're in as an individual, that the Lord would break the ground of your heart and mine, that he would make our hearts ready for what he wants to do within us, that as he breaks up the, the soil of our hearts, that room would be made within us for all that he wants to do within us, that our hearts would be ready, that we would hunger and thirst for more of him. So Psalm 63, as we prepare to worship God, invites us to seek him, to thirst for him, to long for him, to yearn for him, to praise him, to be satisfied in him, to think of him through the watches of the night, to sing in the shadow of his wings, to cling to him, to rejoice in him, and to glory in him. Why? Because his love is better than life itself. Heavenly Father, we thank you that that is who you are, that your love is better than life itself. You know every single thing about us. You know how heavy our hearts are today. You know how joyful our hearts are today. You know every single circumstance that we're going through. You know what we long for. You know what we struggle with. You know us better than we know ourselves. 
We pray, Heavenly Father, that in our hearts, room would be made for all that you want to do within us. That the ground of our hearts would be prepared for more of your work, for more of the work of your Spirit. So, Father, in these moments, we respond. Enable us to do that not only with our mouths and with our lips, but with our hearts too. Lead us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship God.